Prayer is so essential to the Christian life that Alistair Begg said, fellowship with God through Christ finds its principal expression through prayer. See that key phrase there, principal expression. Our main expression of our fellowship with God through Christ is through prayer. Spurgeon thought prayer so crucial that he said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. And I find that to be a rather astounding statement from the man that we call the Prince of Preachers. Spurgeon knew that the power for preaching, the power for the Christian life, was found in the Spirit working through prayer. He once told his congregation that if they ever stopped praying for him while he preached, he would quit on the spot. He understood that prayer is vital. Prayer is needed. Prayer is valuable. And I wonder, do you value prayer that highly? And if we all were honest, I think we would admit that we know that we need to pray, and perhaps we may even think we want to pray, but we find it hard to pray. And there's much going against us. The flesh, the world, and the devil, they fight to keep us from prayer. Our own laziness keeps us from prayer. And whether or not we admit it, we need motivation to pray. And in our passage this morning, Jesus motivates us to pray by giving us his promise for prayer. Jesus' promise for prayer. And Luke records Jesus' promise through a parable. And then Jesus applies the parable with a promise. And then Jesus, at the end of the passage, gives us the foundation for his promise. So first, we see a parable. And the parable is found in verses 5 through 8. But before we look at that, keep in mind that throughout these verses, verses 5 through 13, Jesus is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's going to begin with something that sounds good, but he's going to get, something, get to something that sounds even better. So keep that in mind as we go through the, the passage, because verse 13 is really the climax of what Jesus says. So we have this parable. It begins in verse 5, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So there's one friend in the parable that has another friend come on a journey late at night. And it's a bit of a crisis. The journeying friend needs food, and the friend receiving the friend doesn't have it. So the friend receiving the journeying friend goes to a local friend, someone who lives close by, and he asks for three loaves of bread. Now there are two realities here about the Eastern context in which Jesus lived that's going to help our understanding of the parable. Uh, first, it was not all that uncommon for people to travel at night because it was hot. It's super hot, and I don't blame them. I don't like traveling, period. But if I had to walk in the heat, I'd definitely be walking at night. So someone coming at midnight was not out of the realm of possibility. This just happened. That is the way people traveled. They often traveled at night. 
But the second reality is that the reason this was a crisis is because hospitality was a sacred duty and privilege. That's why he goes to his other friend at midnight. So it was unthinkable for the friend to turn away his journeying friend without doing something. And Alistair Begg, as only he could say, he couldn't give him a bowl of Rice Krispies and call it a deal. I would have been okay with that, but couldn't have done that. So the friend goes to his friend at midnight and says, Help, I need bread. And look at how the friend responds there in verse 7. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up and give you anything. So his door is shut, which is like a big do not disturb sign. Don't bother me. The whole family is in bed together. Many houses just had one bed. They just had one room, so the whole family would sleep together, uh, which is why I thank God for his providence, because if I lived in, I would never sleep. (laughs) So the friend who needs the bread, the local friend, goes to his other local friend, and he's essentially saying, hey, I need you to wake up your whole family. Get your whole family out of bed and give me these three loaves of bread. And somewhat understandably, we can understand the guy's response. Hey, go away. I'm asleep. My kids are asleep. Don't you know, never wake a baby. You know what will happen if you do that? I'm not going to give you this bread. But the friend doesn't stop asking, does he? Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus is saying this guy is going to get what he wants to get, uh, not because they're friends, uh, but basically because he's annoying. That's what this word impudence means. It means persistent shamelessness. It means asking to the point of annoyance. Hey, give me bread. No, give me bread. Give me bread. No, no, no. All right, fine. Here's your bread. So he's persistent. His persistence was able to overcome the reluctance of his friend. That's the point Jesus is trying to make. Not not mainly the overcoming, which we'll find out why in a minute or a few minutes, But the persistence, this guy was persistent. He asked and kept on asking until he got what he was asking for. So that's the parable. That's the parable. And in verse 9, Jesus begins applying the parable to prayer by using three different words and the word will. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So let's make three observations about these three phrases. First, ask, seek, and knock are all commands. They are imperatives. So what Jesus says here about prayer is not 
there's no take it or leave it option. You say, well, maybe I'll ask, maybe I won't, maybe I'll seek, maybe I won't, maybe I'll knock, maybe I won't. Jesus is saying, no, these are commands. So if you are going to pray as Jesus wants you to pray, you must obey these commands. There's no way around it. Your prayer life will be deficient without obeying these three commands. The second observation is that these are not commands that you can only obey once and be done with them. Their tense in the original is what's called a present continuous. So to obey Christ, you need to keep on asking. You need to keep on seeking. You need to keep on knocking. We could translate these phrases as ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Prayer must be persistent. So Jesus is teaching us through these commands that your prayer life must be characterized by persistency. The third observation is that Jesus is making a promise about persistent prayer. And we easily see it in the text when Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So Jesus applies the parable with his promise for prayer. He does so through three commands, ask, seek, and knock. And his context is persistent prayer. So this tells us asking in prayer should not be sheepish, sheepish, should have picked a different word, or half-hearted. The word ask conveys the idea of having an engaged mind in a focused will. This is a mind and a will that is laser-focused in what we're asking for. There are no vague generalities in the asking. Father, help so-and-so to help them with so-and-so. No, it's very specific. We're to seek, and we seek in prayer with a purpose. It is not an aimless seeking or wondering. The purpose of seeking is finding and obtaining. Seek and you will find. And Jesus uses the same word seek later on in Luke, in Luke 19. If you remember from Luke 19, that begins with Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. And his concluding phrase in verse 10 is, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So I ask you, did Jesus accomplish his task of seeking? We're reformed, so we say, yes, he did. He, he sought, and he accomplished it. He came with a purpose. He sought, and he saved. His seeking was accomplished. So in a similar way, we seek in prayer because the promise of Christ has a determination to it. Seek, and you will find. Knock. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. It's a knocking so that we gain admittance. That's what the friend was doing in the parable. Let me in. Give me the bread. Come on. I need bread. All right, fine. Take it. Keep knocking. 
So we, you need to persistently ask, you need to persistently seek, and you need to persistently knock. And Jesus reiterates the promise in verse 10, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks find, and the one finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Everyone. But who is everyone? Does Jesus mean everyone without exception, or does he limit who the everyone is? Well, I think there are three clues within the context. First, remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to those who have placed their faith in him, those who love him and obey him. The second clue is that his disciples have God as their father. So that everyone includes only those who have God as their father. And the third clue is that Jesus uses a plural command for ask, seek, and knock. So in Kentucky we would say, y'all keep seeking, y'all keep asking, y'all keep knocking. And no matter how long I live in Kentucky, I still can't pull y'all off. So Jesus is saying, every one of my disciples that obeys my commands for prayer can rest in my promise for prayer. That's what he's saying. The promise is for all God's children, not a select few. But someone might object with a perceived problem with Jesus' promise. Someone could say, I see the promise Jesus is making, but I asked and I did not receive. I sought and I did not find. I knocked and it was not opened. Did Jesus break his promise? So what should we do with this objection? Well, first, let's look at the immediate context. Remember, Jesus is teaching about persistent prayer. So ask yourself, was I persistent? Did you ask and keep on asking? Did you seek and keep on seeking? Did you knock and keep on knocking? And I don't say that to discourage you. I just know that from my own life, I'm not that persistent. I'm not. I'm not very determined. You know, OCL and Alexander came over Thursday night and we had food and played some, I don't remember what it was called, some game where you hold up the shoe of whoever it's true of. And one of the questions they asked, uh, you know how I love games, John. You know, I'm a big game guy. Uh, one of the questions OCL asked uh, me and Victoria, who would survive uh, longest on a deserted island? Well, there is no question. It's Victoria. I'm out. I'm just going to go in the ocean, see what happens, and go see... <laughs> Go see Jesus. I am done. I am out. I'm not persistent. I'm not very determined in and of myself. I'm just not. So in prayer, I, maybe I pray for a week. God doesn't answer. I'm like, well, there it is. I'm done. So when we run into this problem, we need, need to ask, was I persistent? Was I persistent in the way that Jesus is talking about here? And Leon Morris is helpful when he writes, we must not play at prayer but must show persistence if we do not receive the answer immediately. It is not that God is unwilling and must be pressed into answering. The whole context makes it clear that he is eager to give. 
This is so helpful, but convicting. But if we do not want what we are asking for enough to be persistent, we do not want it very much. It is not such tepid prayer that is answered. So the first action to take is to use Jesus' teaching here to evaluate your persistency in prayer. But let's say on the flip side, you are persistent in prayer. You're asking and you keep on asking. You're seeking and you keep on seeking. You're knocking and you keep on knocking, but God hasn't answered. God is waiting, but you don't know why. Why could God be waiting? Well, a pastor named Charles Leiter, in his sermon on this passage, gives three reasons why God might be waiting to answer. First, sometimes God waits to answer our prayers to purify our motives. James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So maybe you are a wife praying for your husband to grow in a particular area of holiness. And you ask, and you ask, but change isn't coming. Perhaps there is no answer because you're asking so that your life would be more convenient. You're asking for your benefit and not for the good of your husband. And we could just as easily switch this around. You could be a husband praying for your wife in a similar way. But sometimes God waits to answer our prayer to purify our motives. Second, sometimes God waits until he can get all the glory. Think of the death of Lazarus. Jesus was warned that Lazarus was sick. And what did he do? Uh, He rushed. He hightailed it to Bethany. He waited. He waited. And then he went. And by the time Jesus arrived at Bethany, Jesus had been, or Lazarus, excuse me, had been dead for four days. That's where we get one of our favorite phrases from the KJV, by now he stinketh. Lazarus had been dead. Why did Jesus wait? Well, he tells us in John 11, 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? God's glory was displayed in Jesus' waiting and Jesus' raising Lazarus from the dead. He waited so that God's glory would be revealed. And I know... I know this is hard to say, so I do not say this as a dull, lifeless, theological truth, but sometimes God is most glorified in answering when our situation seems the most hopeless and impossible. And that's because in that situation, that's how he will get the most glory. Last, sometimes God waits to answer because he wants to answer us better. He wants to answer us better. You think back to the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1. You've got Zechariah. He's in the temple. The angel appears all of a sudden. And he says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. By this time, he was an old man. His wife, Elizabeth, was an old woman. But God answered their prayer, I think, better than they could have imagined. 
the child that God gave them was John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament talks about who would cry out in the wilderness. And if we could talk with Zachariah and Elizabeth today, I think they would say the waiting was worth it. That God answered their prayer better than they could have ever dreamed. So those are three reasons that when we are persistent, God might be waiting to answer our prayers. But lastly, we need to remember that Jesus' promise is specific. If you'll recall from verses 1 through 4, Jesus taught his pattern for prayer. So as we pray according to his pattern, which is to say when we pray according to the will of God, we have a promise that God will answer our prayer even if his answer is different than what we would like it to be. So Jesus is not giving us a blank check here. It would be great if he was, but he's not. So this gets us back that we must have a, a biblical understanding of who God is. Persistent prayer flows from a biblical understanding of God. And I bring this out because you will see those who teach that persistent prayer can be about anything you want it to be. And because you are persistent, God will answer you as you want him to answer. One pastor in a heretical movement said this about per persistent prayer. It, listen to this closely. It changes the conditions on which God makes decisions. Persistent prayer is about your breakthrough. Do you hear the theological problems in those statements? Persistent prayer is about changing conditions so that God will change his mind and make decisions based on your prayer? What? Reminds me of that John, that John Piper meme. Here's a Bible. Read it. That's not what God does. He's saying that in some way we can bring about some change in God. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. That also misses the point. He's saying that in some way you've got to overcome God's reluctance. God's withholding from you. No, the, the text here is very clear. God's very willing to give, and we're going to see very soon just how willing he is to give. And another major problem, persistent prayer is about your breakthrough. I don't even really know what that means, but I do know this much. It's all about me. It's all about me. So Jesus is making a promise to his disciples that when they obey his commands for persistent prayer and follow his pattern for prayer, they will see answers to prayer. The pattern and the promise work together. You can't disregard Jesus' pattern and lay hold of Jesus' promise. You must follow Jesus' pattern to take advantage of his promise. But this leads us to the final section of the passage where Jesus teaches the foundation 
for his promise for prayer. And this is where motivation comes into the picture, is in the foundation. So you remember, Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. He uses earthly analogies to teach us something about God. And in these verses, we reach the climax of the argument. And what Jesus does is he compares earthly fathers with the heavenly father. Before, he's comparing an earthly friend with our heavenly friend. And, and uh, he's making these comparisons to show us what God is like. So Jesus asks in verse 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? It's kind of a silly statement, isn't it? I mean, what? Even the worst dad you can think of is probably not going to give their kid a snake to eat. I hope not. Or a scorpion. Well, Jesus makes his point very clear in verse 13. He says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, there's the comparison, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So if evil, wicked, earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, don't you think your Heavenly Father is willing to give good gifts to His children? That's what Jesus is saying. So in the words of Martin Luther, persistent prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. Our Heavenly Father is able. Our Heavenly Father is willing to answer. And this is the foundation. This is the motivation for asking and continuing to ask. This is the foundation for seeking and continuing to seek. This is the foundation for knocking and continuing to knock. It is the character of our Father. It is the willingness. It is the love of our Heavenly Father. And we are to persistently ask, seek, and knock in prayer because we pray to our Heavenly Father. God will never be like the earthly friend that says, Goodness gracious, you're bothering me. Here's what you want. I just... Oh, get off my back. He never does that. He's not like that. And evil earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, but the heavenly father gives the best gift. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? J.C. Ryle wrote, The Holy Spirit is beyond doubt the greatest gift which God can bestow upon man. So do you believe that? Our Father wants to give us the Holy Spirit. But I know you all are very theologically informed, so a question is probably in your mind already. We know from Scripture that those who have God as their Father are already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has already been given to us. We know Paul's words from Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, in other words, you have it, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So since we have the Holy Spirit, 
What do we make of Jesus' words here? I think MacArthur is helpful. He wrote, to those, pay attention here, to those who ask for a gift, he gives the giver. To those who ask for an effect, he gives the cause. To those who ask for a product, he gives the source. To those seeking comfort, he gives the comforter. To those seeking power, he gives the source of power. To those seeking help, he gives the helper. To those seeking truth, he gives the spirit of truth. To those seeking love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, he gives the producer of all those things. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the source of every good thing in the Christian life. So Jesus is saying that the best gift our Heavenly Father can give us is His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source of every good thing in the Christian life. So ask for more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit's working in your home. Ask for more of the power of the Spirit in your interaction with your friends. Ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as you go to work tomorrow. Ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as you teach your children. Ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as you pray for your children. Ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as you pray. Ask, ask, ask. You and I are so needy we have no clue. No earthly clue and no heavenly clue. Just no clue. Completely clueless often as to how needy and weak and helpless we are in and of ourselves. So Jesus says, ask. It's not that hard, is it? It's really not. Go through the drive-thru and you ask for a hamburger pretty easily, right? But yet we get to prayer and it's like, oh, asking the Father, I don't know. Ask. Because this is a prayer that the Heavenly Father is eager, able, and willing to answer. Guaranteed. He'll answer. Now how he answer, up to him. When he will answer, up to him. But he'll answer. So I ask you, do you want to grow in your prayer life? I know I do. Do you want to grow? Well, may I suggest that you spend more time in Luke 11 and sit at Jesus' feet and learn? In His grace, we have His pattern and His promise for prayer. And the wonderful thing is, Jesus hasn't broken a promise yet. You don't have to go to him and say, Ah, Jesus, I don't know. Now ask, seek, knock. He's made a promise. So the question you face now is not, Will you pray? The question is, Do you believe Jesus' promise enough to obey his command to pray? persistently. And perhaps where you're going to start is, I believe, help my unbelief, and then pray persistently.